0: But you know, he doesn't preach those, so I don't know uh, what would happen, but um, it is so good to get to be here today and to get to worship with you, and what a glorious time it has been this morning to praise the Lord and to to cry out to him and, and say, I am no longer a slave of fear. I am a child of God, to to be able to stand together with God's people and say, my sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. What a glorious thing it is to gather with God's people and worship our great God. Thank you so much for your partnership in our West Metro Baptist Association. I bring you greetings from the other churches. And uh, you know what? Like, this is an exciting day because at the beginning of this year, there were, uh, I think, eight of our churches who were looking for pastors. As of today, I believe there are two. Isn't that exciting? We talk about all of the rough stuff that's been happening this year. This has been a crazy year, but there's, there's been some really good things happening too, and I believe this is one of them. So Pastor Doug and your family, welcome. We're so glad that you're not only here in this church and uh, a part of what God is doing in this particular community, but joining together with us as an association of churches and seeing what God is going to do as we move forward, reaching not only the community of Mableton, but all over the West Metro area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is so exciting to see people working together and to see churches coming together for the sake of the gospel, because ultimately our job is not to build little kingdoms all around, but it is to join together for the sake of the kingdom, to exalt the name of Jesus. And so it is a blessing to be here, to see what God is doing here, and uh, to be able to partner with you today. I've been, over the past several weeks, as I knew that I was coming to, to preach, uh, taking the opportunity to kind of consider what it was that the Lord would have us to uh, to study today as we open His Word together, and I mean, there are all kinds of options you can go with. You can preach a charge to the new preacher, preach a charge to the church about how they need to treat the new preacher. There's plenty of things the Bible has to say about that. Um, but one thing kept the Lord just kept bringing something back to my mind, and so today we're going to be looking at a passage that doesn't talk about whether. The new pastor is here or not. The passage doesn't talk about what it looks like to be in a new season of ministry as a church, but instead, the Lord said we need to go back to the basics. It was July of 1961, and there were 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team who were gathered together for the first day of their training camp. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers squandered a, late, uh, a lead late in the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. If you're a Falcons fan, that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? The Green Bay players had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason, and now finally, training camp had arrived, and it was time to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and start working on the details that would help them win a championship. But Vince Lombardi, their coach, had a very different idea. He took nothing for granted, and he began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He began with the most elemental statement of all. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand, this is a football Now he's talking to a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize their sport could offer, and yet he started from the very beginning. kind of reminds me of something that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And that's where we're going to be today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're looking at verses 1 through 5. And I want you to hear what, what the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church as he talks about how he ministered among them. How, how it was that he, he came and uh, proclaimed the good, the good news of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're in verses 1 through 5, beginning in verse 1. And I, when I came to you brothers... Did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It is all about the gospel. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Could we take just a moment, go before Him in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I thank you for this reminder in your word that there is nothing that we can do that adds to the power of the gospel. There is nothing that we can do to add to the power of your Holy Spirit at work in and among your people. So Lord God, today, would you focus our hearts and minds on you? Would you focus our hearts and minds upon the gospel? And would you remove... Lord, the distractions that would seek to cause us to look to other things and other places. Lord God, would you be glorified in us today as we study and apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe that what we see in, in this passage of scripture as Paul is writing to the Corinthian church is really a, a, a two options for how we do gospel ministry. Two options for how a pastor comes and leads a church. Two options for how the church responds and and reaches out to and ministers to the community around them. One is a path of failure and one is a path of success. We're going to begin by talking about the path of failure that Paul kind of references as he goes through and talks about what he did not do. The first thing that, that he says he did not do, he said, I did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech. The path of failure begins when we try to impress people with our vocabulary. When we try to make people think how great we are with the words that we use. When we, when we, we're uh, you know, trying to, to, to lift ourselves up make ourselves look good, impress others, so that we are elevated in their sight. Many preachers today say that in order to hold the congregation's attentions, we have to use eloquent words, you got to use fancy alliterations, you got to use illustrations. And if your sermon has more than three points and doesn't include a funny story or or poignant illustration, then you'll never get through to the people. I have four points plus three application points, just to make sure we're out of the three points uh, today. Um, so you can go ahead and write one through four if you want to. Uh, we don't try to impress people with our vocabulary. Scripture teaches us that, that God's word is sufficient to bring people to salvation in Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 55, 11, we find God saying, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is absolutely powerful to do what he intends for it to do. He does not need me to impress you with the way that I communicate God's word. It is powerful. It will do what it is supposed to do. It doesn't need me adding to it in order for people to be saved. In fact, it is often the case that when I feel like I can't seem to get the words out right, and I mess up the message that i prepared, that people respond. (laughs) It's almost like God can use my weakness better than he can use my pride. The path of failure begins when we try to impress people with our vocabulary. We read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for the work of ministry. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. God's word is what we need to focus on, not our own ability to communicate it. We need to be people of the word. But not only that, in the path to failure, the the second thing that Paul says he did not do is that he did not trust in his own wisdom. He said, I didn't come to you, uh, I didn't give you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. The the second uh, stop on our path uh, toward failure is to trust in our own wisdom. To think that we have all of the answers. To think that we know what it is that we need to do in order to reach the community. Listen, I have the opportunity week by week, actually day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year to work with churches who all think they have the answer to how we reach our community. And guess what? Most of the time we try things and they fail. Because many times we're trying to reach people not using the Word of God, not trusting in the Spirit of God to lead us, but instead using our own wisdom. This is one of the things that the Corinthian church was actually struggling with. They believed it was better to show off their wisdom or knowledge that somebody had attained so that they were more interested in listening to the wise teachers than to Paul because he says he didn't come speaking with wisdom. In fact, he said he celebrated his weakness so that Christ could be magnified. Instead of trusting our own wisdom, we need to seek the wisdom that is from above. If we want to fail, we need to trust ourselves. If we want to succeed, we trust God. In God. Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3, you've heard these verses before, but listen again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. The wisdom that we need to follow is not our own. It's not leaning on our own understanding. Instead, it's trusting in the Lord and acknowledging Him in every way so that He will make straight our paths. He goes on, though, and says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Well, that's what the Old Testament has to say about wisdom. What does the New Testament have to say? James chapter 1 Beginning in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, there it is. If you want wisdom, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God, he says, who gives generously to all without reproach. Isn't that good news? And it will be given him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Trust in the Lord. Seek wisdom from Him. Jesus even had something very specific to say about this very topic. In Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The wisdom that we need is not our own. We didn't come with it. We weren't born with it. We haven't learned it by our experience. Now, there is wisdom that comes from experience, But it still gets trumped by a greater wisdom, and that is the wisdom of God that only comes from us being people of the Word. If we want to fail, we need to trust in our own wisdom. The third thing, Paul says, I did not come to you proclaiming the, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The third way for us to fail is to use gimmicks and tactics to persuade people to believe. The easiest way for us to, to fall on our face in ministry, to fail miserably, is to think that we can use gimmicks and tactics to, to, to persuade people. The Holy Spirit of God is fully persuasive enough. He does not need us to come up with new tactics and gimmicks for how to reach people. He is fully capable of doing what he does. He is fully Persuasive enough to bring people to salvation when his word is preached. And I have experientially seen this happen. I can't tell you the number of times I've preached something and I thought I was saying one thing. And somebody comes up to me later and says, Bro, Jason, thank you so much for uh, sharing what you shared. And they begin telling me what I just said. And I'm like, I'm sure I didn't just say any of that. Have <laughs> you ever had this happen to you where <laughs> you're like, I didn't say that? But you know the Holy Spirit of God is at work in their heart and God is ministering in them. God doesn't need me to come up with gimmicks and tactics in order to reach people with the gospel. He just needs me to proclaim the word. He needs the word to go forth so that his Holy Spirit can do what his Holy Spirit does. You remember the old Peanuts cartoon where, where Lucy would convince Charlie Brown that, that she would hold the ball for him to kick? Only every time, right as he got there, she'd pull it out and he'd fall, fall down. I think a lot of times our communities feel like we're doing that to them. When we try to get them in here with cool gimmicks and activities and tactics and all this kind of stuff only to kind of pull the ball at the last minute and they realize that it was just a ploy to get them in the door. We don't need to come up with ploys to get people in the door. We need to proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We need to obey scripture, teach the gospel, and let God's word do what it's promised to do in the lives of His people. The fourth way for us to fail in ministry is this. We pretend like we have no problems. Let me tell you all a little story. Paul says in here that he came preaching with weakness and much trembling and fear. So Friday night, well actually so you know Wednesday night the storm came through. Thursday uh, we live in Paulding County so all the schools were canceled so we were home all day, and there were limbs all over our yard, so we began the process of cleaning up, which actually lasted beyond Friday, uh, Thursday into Friday. By Friday evening, uh, we uh, kind of got done, and my back had been hurting all day. I laid down uh, and could not get up. <laughs> uh, Courtney was like, I'm nervous. What's happening? She, I kind of scared her. I, I, just, I, could not, I couldn't sit up. And then when I, so I kind of rolled off the bed and was down on the side of the bed on my knees and I couldn't stand up because my back hurt so bad. I just could not move. I'm like, well, I'm just going to be here stuck for a little while. And uh, so finally maneuvered around and and got back in the bed and uh, Saturday morning woke up and was able to kind of get up. But then I, when I started trying to walk, I looked like I was doing the shuffle. I mean, I could not move. It was awful. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to preach tomorrow I don't know what's going to I'm about to have to call and say, I, I can't walk. How, I can't even climb steps. I don't know how I'm going to get up there and preach. I don't know what's going to happen. And uh, over the course of the day yesterday, I was praying, just saying, Lord, please provide relief. Uh, even if I don't get to preach, just let me not be in pain. <laughs> and uh, I, I tell you that story to say this. I think sometimes we try really hard to make it look like everything is good. We try really, really hard to make it look like to our communities, to other people, even to one another, that life is great. One of my favorite kind of analogies of this is you look on Facebook and you see people's pictures. And you're like, man, I wish my family pictures looked like that. What they don't post is the 400 other pictures they had to take in order to get that perfect family picture. What you don't see is the family fights that happen where you're telling the kids, smile, you know. We spend a lot of time in our culture trying to impress other people with the way our lives look. We don't have any weakness. Weakness is bad. We're all good. Everything is perfect. And Paul says what he did when he went to the the Corinthian church is that he, he came in weakness. He put it all on display. All of the things that were wrong, he put on display Because he said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. At the end of the day, he said, what I want you to remember is not me. I don't want you to think I have it all together. I want you to remember Jesus. If we want to fail in how we reach the community and minister to people, it's going to be that we pretend like we have no problems. That we have nothing wrong. That we have no weakness. That we're just, we've got it all together Let me tell you, we don't have it all together. We don't. And we know it's true. We know we try to to come together and we want to look our best and we want to act like everything is great. But there are times, I would venture to guess, there are people in this room who are hurting right now. Who are struggling through something they haven't really shared with others right now. And the fastest way for us to fail in ministry is to pretend like that's not going on and to act like we've got it all together because when we do that, that's another gimmick that we're trying to present to the community. That when you come to Jesus, everything is going to be perfect. And the truth of the matter is we live in a fallen world. And what we have in our relationship with Christ is not something added to our lives to make it perfect. What we have is moving our citizenship from this place to eternity, looking forward in hope to the day when all things are going to be made new. But that day is not yet yet and we still live in a fallen world and we're called to be ambassadors of Christ in that fallen world not to impress people with how good we look but to point them to Jesus if we want to fail we pretend that we have no problems so that's how we fail how do we succeed well the gospel is our only hope for success it is only the gospel Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Number one, we must preach Jesus Christ alone. There is no other gospel. There is no other way of salvation. Peter said, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The gospel alone. Jesus Christ alone. There is no other Savior. As we were praying just a little while ago, I'm so glad you said There's no savior that's going to be elected to any political office. Because there's one savior and his name is Jesus. So we must preach Christ alone. Jesus said in the Great Commission that we're to teach his followers to obey everything he commanded. So when we preach, we need to preach Jesus. We need to preach what he taught. We need to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to preach Jesus Christ alone. Number two... We must preach Christ crucified for our sins. That's a part of the gospel that oftentimes we we kind of ignore. We want to say, here's Jesus. Jesus loves you. But God is both a God of love and a God who is just. And he requires payment for our sin. And instead of requiring it from us and pouring out his wrath on us, he poured out his wrath on his own son that we might be declared righteous through faith in him. That's the gospel. And when we preach Jesus, it's not just the the Jesus of good moral teaching, but it's Christ crucified. Paul says, "I, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This community, if they die apart from Christ, then they go and they face the wrath of God in eternal judgment But in Christ they have already been given and offered forgiveness if they would but come to him and submit themselves to him. And so what they need to hear from us is that all of our sins are forgiven when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. That we're not just living lives of peace, right, relationship with God. That we're not just hopeful people no matter what circumstances look like around us because of uh, something that we believe in. But it's because God has already won the victory for us because Jesus Christ was crucified. He laid down His life so that He could bear the brunt of the wrath of God and I could be made righteous before Him. Not because of anything that I've done, not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. We must preach Christ and Him crucified. There is no other way of salvation, there is no other gospel that we proclaim. If we do not preach the cross, if the cross is not at the center of our worship, then we are not preaching Christ, we are not worshiping Christ. Jesus was not just a good moral teacher. He was the Son of God who came and laid down his life for you and I. The third thing we must do, if we want to experience success in ministry, we must let God demonstrate his power through the Holy Spirit. He's called us to be obedient, he's called us to do what we do. He's called us to minister among the community. He's called us to encourage one another, lift one another up. He's called us to gather together in worship, but none of those things happen in our own strength and power. Instead, he empowers us by his Holy Spirit, and he's called us to allow him to demonstrate that power through his Holy Spirit at work in us. Success is going to be found in the Holy Spirit working through you in the lives of this community. The, the, the ability to minister is going to come from the Holy Spirit at work in your lives. It's not going to come from all the other things that you might try to do in order to, um, in, in order to sort of lift up the name of Mableton. If we're lifting up the name of Mableton, we've already failed. We must exalt and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We must proclaim the gospel. The gospel that says there is a God and he created everything. The gospel that says we are sinful and we are fallen and we have separated ourselves from that loving holy God. The gospel that says that that, that our sin requires punishment because God cannot be in the presence of sin. The gospel that says that Jesus is God's son who came and lived as a man. He lived a perfect sinless life and then he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Take the punishment that we deserved upon himself. The gospel that says that that gift is offered freely to us, but we must receive it in order to receive the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus Christ. The gospel says that that we have assurance of our salvation, not because of anything we've done, but because God gloriously raised him from the dead, and we have hope of eternal life because Jesus has already declared victory over sin, over the grave, over death. Death, where is your sting? It doesn't exist anymore because of what Christ has done for us. That is the gospel that needs to go forth. It's the gospel that exalts Jesus Christ. What does the nation who is on the brink of a national election need? The gospel. What does a church who's beginning a new chapter of ministry need? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What does a, a pastor who's beginning his new ministry calling need? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What does a, a sinner need? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What does the saint who has been here forever, been a member of the church forever and ever, been saved so long they don't even remember exactly what day it was they got saved? What does that person need? The gospel. We all need the gospel. We need to share the gospel with our lost friends and neighbors, but we also need to remind each other and share the gospel with each other. We need Jesus. The minute we try to think we can do it on our own, we've already failed. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. He says, I determine to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Brother Doug, my prayer for you, as we see you begin this Covenant relationship with this body of believers, and as we get to begin this partnership and ministry throughout our association, my prayer for you is that you know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Church, my prayer for you as we partner together throughout our association is that you, as a body of believers, know nothing but Jesus Christ. And him crucified. There is no greater thing to know. There is no truer wisdom to be found than in Jesus Christ and him crucified. May you be a people who keep the gospel central. May you be a people who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and let him add all of these other things unto you. May you be a people who preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Let's pray.